0: Our series, Born in the USA, Nowhere to Run, Ain't Got Nowhere to Go, and we're continuing to work our way through the life and times of Daniel and seeing how his feel for his day is very similar to the feel of our day, even though we are 2,600 years separated. And it's, it's pretty amazing to see the similarities. It's pretty amazing to see how he continually doesn't just Thrive, but he survive. He doesn't just survive, but he thrives. Uh, he takes it on and uh, navigates his world in such a way that he's able not to compromise who he is. Uh, and he's able to do it in such a way that he, uh, you know, functions in the society and doesn't get in the face of other people. Uh, and, he, he, and he points to God and he draws others to him. So it's a pretty amazing uh, story, a pretty amazing account. Well, let's uh, start our time off in prayer. So would you pray with me? Grace Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this moment where we can um, share together, uh, where we can hear from you through your word. And we just ask that uh, no matter where we're at, whether we're a convinced person of faith or whether we're just checking things out, kicking the tires, that uh, our hearts will be open to see if there's anything in this good news uh, that fits for our lives. And we ask that uh, this wouldn't be just a time of learning more information but you would use it in our hearts and our lives to actually transform us uh, so we can live differently and be different people uh, that point to you in a more effective way and just enjoy who you are in our everyday life. Again, we just uh, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Last week was uh, Father's Day, as most of you are aware of, and uh, we had uh, bacon here, and it was a good start, good appetizer to great Father's Day meals. I hope you... uh, got to enjoy a good meal. Uh, we, we had one. The only bummer was that Mariah is still in New Hampshire uh, for the summer, so uh, she wasn't there, but Sarah and Hannah uh, and, of course, Cindy was there, and uh, we had a good time together. But one of the things they did do to me, and, and I, I, I say do to me, is, is they, they, they kind of tied my hands and made me upgrade my bathing suit. Uh, i have a 17 year old chlorine faded um, speedo it's not the kind of speedo you're thinking about that would be too scary but it says speedo on the side bathing suit and i think it's perfectly fine and uh, they may be right there at the dinner table you know order another new one and i uh, it arrived this week and it's sitting in its bag, sitting in our room in the corner. But, uh, you know, uh, they just kind of force that onto me. I've actually become one of those guys, uh, the, one of those dads who likes to say how old his clothes are. You know, oh, yeah, this is 15 years old, this is 10 years old, and uh, uh, they don't seem to appreciate it. And they actually say, Dad, we know it's old. Get something new. So anyway, so you know, so that was a part of our uh, Father's Day experience. But you know, there are some things you just have to experience firsthand as a dad. Uh, you can understand them cognitively, but until you're in the moment, you really don't uh, uh, feel it or understand it. And one of those things uh, is selective hearing. And, you know, I had been on the other side of that. I'd been a very good practicer growing up of being selectively hearing what was going on from my mom and dad and others. And and then, you know, I got married and, and that gift just worked so well, you know, selectively hearing the things that Cindy had said to me. But I hadn't really heard it on the other side. And uh, it wasn't until the girls were uh, probably um, old enough to... Uh, you know, be out on the swing by themselves. Uh, we have twin daughters, and then uh, the third, Mariah, came along 18 months later. So they're all very similar in age, and they're, they're all out on the swing. And, you know, uh, you know when they were young, uh, you know, they, were, they were very cute and innocent, but at the same time, they were very devious. Uh, they, they had this selective hearing kind of thing. And, and I would call out to them, and uh, I would say, come on in. Nothing, not even a glance, not even a their swing, not even a look my way, and I'd say, "Come on in, girls, swing, 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 swing." Nothing, I, and, and finally, Sarah, Hannah, Mariah, come on in. Nothing. Next time, Sarah, Hannah, oh, who us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, I'm buying that. You know, like they hadn't heard me up until that point. <laughs> So, I, you know, I was trying to test this out and see if this really was happening, see if my kids had a hearing problem. And uh, eventually what I started to do is I would stand at the deck and I would open up the door and I'd go, let's go get ice cream. Boom! They're off the chairs. They're running in. And uh, they, so it was selective hearing. They actually heard me every single time. And, uh, you know, I I just couldn't believe it. So then I would just start saying, let's get ice cream. Every time they'd come in, and then finally they learned that we weren't going to get ice cream every single time, so I had to change my tactics. But, you know, this selective hearing is very similar to something uh, we're going to call this morning selective learning. It looks very similar. There are things in our lives, just like hearing, that we selectively learn or don't learn. Uh, we, we, we know it, but we're selective. Uh, sometimes you've been in that situation where you have a good friend or, or, or a child or, or someone at work, and, and they're, they're dealing with some, some kind of a problem, and you come alongside them and you say, you know, uh, have you ever thought about this? Oh, I know that. I know that. And you go, then, if you did that or didn't do that, the problem would start to dissipate. See, they have selective learning. And the reality, too, is sometimes we call it around here, you know, we're educated beyond our level of obedience, but, but we have selective learning. There, there, are, there are truths out there. There are things that we absolutely know. A few weeks ago, we talked about, you know, the fact that there was a time where I was eating two Big Macs at a time. It wasn't two for, you know, $2, but, uh, you know, I was eating two Big Macs. And I was wondering why everything was expanding, yeah, well, you know, it's pretty obvious that, you know, you know, you eat two Big Macs and you put on weight, you know, every time you go to McDonald's. So, so, you know, I didn't need to know that, but it was selective learning. There are all kinds of things in our lives that we practice selective learning we practice selective learning with our finances sometimes. We we, we, we spend more than we're earning. Uh, we let things catch our eye, uh, and then all of a sudden we're buying something uh, we really can't afford, or we're not saving. Uh, sometimes it's selective learning with our relationships. We know things that uh, would push our spouse's button or our kid's button or our friend's button, and, and, and we know it, and we're just selective about what we've learned, and we're selective about how we. it's happening again, isn't it? Man. This is part of selective
1: learning. Yeah, that, yeah this good example. I don't listen yeah, well enough. You
0: just got to lift it up higher. Okay, sorry. All, it right. Rub your all right, thank you. Excuse me. There we go. All right, thanks. So, so there's selective learning, like not listening about, you know, I knew that my mic was doing that. So, you, you know, did I, did I change it? Kevin had to change it. So we have these areas of selective learning. And, and there's a great story in Daniel about this unfolding. And, and we see uh, the situation with a new king who's there, and he's living out selective learning. He knows some things, but he's not practicing those things. He's doing something opposite, and it's going to cause all kinds of trouble. And what's interesting about selective learning, it doesn't only affect your life, my life, when we, we practice this. It actually has ripple effects into other lives. And for this, this king, it, it's going to have huge ripple effects, but he's living out this idea of selective learning. Now, just to give you a little background on this, I'm going to throw a timeline up on the screen. It's very complex, but what I want you to see about it is uh, Nebuchadnezzar has uh, not been ruling for about 23 years. He had passed away, and uh, his son uh, took over, and I, I think you love his son's name. His son's name is Evil Murdak and uh, how would you like that as a name? Oh, hi little go. Hi Evil, you know. So anyway, so some reason they knew and his name was Evil Murdoch and he became king. And if you look there, uh, you know, that was uh, short short lived and uh, he assumes the throne and then he dies naturally and then there's a, another grandson who assumes the throne in let's say 556 BC. And then he gets assassinated. Then another guy becomes king. And, uh, you know, he probably marries one of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, daughters or wives or something like that. So it kind of legitimizes his throne. And then this guy named, uh, I, I can't even pronounce these guys, no, no, I can do that one. I practiced that one. But uh, Neba, you know, whatever his name is, he becomes the king, and he's the king for a mil, you know, for a lot of years. But uh, what happens is the Medes and the Persians are starting to move against Babylon, the great empire. And as they're moving against it, they're actually starting to win. So this king, great guy, decides, I'm out of here. I'm going to have a co-leader, and I'm going to make my son the co-leader, and that's. That's Belshazzar. And so he becomes the co-leader, and he leads in his place, and uh, the dad goes off somewhere else to play, you know, be in some oasis in Arabia. He just wants to be on the safe side and leaves his son living and ruling Babylon. Babylon. And it's interesting, you know, in the Bible, a lot of times people will throw out these things that the Bible historically, uh, you know, just isn't accurate. And occasionally they'll, they'll uh, give an example of this in, in Daniel uh, chapter 5, is, is one of these up for years and years and years, and then in the last, uh, you know, 100 years, they found this um, cylinder. They found four of these, and they actually discovered as they were looking at it that it talks about Belshazzar being the co-regent. So as we get into the story, we're going to see that uh, he offers whoever can answer his uh, this riddle, and we'll talk about that. Um, he, he offers them third highest ruler. And the reason he offers them third is because he's actually number two. And up until this, uh, these cylinders were found, they said, see, this proves the you know, Bible. Historically, there's no mention of this guy, but then all of a sudden they find this. You know, often, 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 the things that uh, seem to be inconsistent when it comes to history and those kinds of things uh, all of a sudden they discover something. They've discovered more information about David and Solomon and, and Jericho and all those kinds of places, and all of a sudden they find something, and it verifies some of these historical things in the Older Testament. So that's what's going on on here. Now, you got to remember that uh, Babylon was unbelievable. It, it was just, just fantastic. I want to give you some, just some uh, facts about it. Uh, it formed a square. It was 14 miles on each side. And it was just, was just unbelievable. The brick wall then was, uh, if you add up, I think it's 56 miles long. Um, in places, uh, it was 300 feet high, uh, 25 feet thick, with another 75 feet behind the first wall. And I had, it had 250 towers, and some were 450 feet high. Uh, It went all the way around. The Euphrates River also flowed through the middle of it, which was unbelievable. And uh, there was actually a long bridge that uh, had drawbridges and was about a half a mile long and it closed at night. Uh, You've probably heard of the hanging gardens. Uh, Just unbelievable. They actually had some kind of hydraulic uh, pumps to move the water to take care of all that. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar's palace and all of this was just considered one of the most beautiful, magnificent places ever uh, uh, built. And so this is the city. Uh, It's been in decline. Dad, the king, takes off, leaves his son in charge. Might have been in his late 20s, early 30s. And so he's there, and the the Medes and the Persians are just, just moving across, gobbling stuff up. And now they're outside the gates. They're all around the city, but the city is basically impregnable. You, you just can't get into it. Uh, you can't, you can besiege it, you can, you can be on the outside of it, but with the water and with the gardens, uh, they could last years and years and years. And this is where we find the story unfolding. We're gonna say that Daniel was. Uh, in his early 80s, maybe mid 80s, about this time, you remember he's been there since he was 15. He was kidnapped uh, as a 15-year-old, or when Jerusalem was uh, just destroyed, and so he's there and he's been functioning all along. And now we have him in this new situation. So, if you want to look at Daniel chapter 5, uh, verse 1, you can find that in the Bibles around you. We'll also have the verses on the screen. Uh, If you don't have your own personal copy of a Bible, a paper copy, please feel free to take that gift as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Um, Also, you can download uh, something called YouVersion, and you can put it on your electronic uh, device's and it's great. It has the Bible there, and it's a free app. So you might want that also. But Daniel uh, chapter 5, verse 1. So what does uh, Belshazzar do? Uh, you know, the, the enemies all the way around them. They're besieged. So what's he decide to do? He decides to have a party. And uh, we dive into this, and we start to look at the party goers. So we look at verse 1, page 617, and we see this. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Drank wine is code for these guys are plastered. They are—it's just crazy going on there. Uh, there's actually even overturns that it was a very sexual party, an orgy kind of. It was just—it was just just crazy. So what does this king do? You know, the enemy's at the gates, but you know they're not worried. Uh, you know, they've got plenty of food, uh, Babylon's never fallen. I've read somewhere and I I don't know where they got this detail that it, it had been a city to some degree for like a thousand years, never fallen in its history. So these people were just, you know, invincible. And so he decides to have a, have a party. And, uh, you know, and so he invites these thousand people, and it's just just a, a really good time. Uh, we read on where he says, well, Balthazar was drinking his wine. He gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father... Anytime they say father, it's a ancestor. It's like our founding fathers aren't our fathers, but they're our founding fathers. So that's the kind of imagery that goes on there. So Nebuchadnezzar wasn't his actual father, but he probably was related to him in some way. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. uh, What they would do when they would wipe out another people, if there was a God kind of thing going on there, there was a temple, they would take the artifacts, bring them back to the capital city, uh, put them around so they could say, hey, that God, we beat that God. So it was just a constant reminder that they had suppressed the nation of Israel, Judah specifically, and uh, they had them there. So the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, uh, might drink from them. And this just that last line there just shows how loaded this guy was to bring his wives and concubines all to the same party. You know, They're all there, and they're all having a good time, and uh, he brings them, and you know, just the wine is flowing. So they bring in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So so to make things even worse, uh, they're they're saying we beat that other god. Now we're insulting that other god. And what Belshazzar is really showing is he's showing contempt the Medes and the Persians, you know, they're in, they're all around. They're not going to get us. We're in the perfect city. We're safe and sound. We're so scared. We're going to have a party, and he's just showing contempt for them. He's showing no respect, no, no awareness, or no, no, uh, you know, reverence for what could happen. He's just throwing all caution to win, And then to complicate it, he does the same towards God, and he worships these other gods, these manufactured gods, and he just in a sense, he's. He's um, sticking his tongue out at God and all these armies around him. And, uh, you know, we go, wow, how could he do that? But sometimes, you know, you and I uh, subtly can do the same thing. We have our gods of gold, of silver, of bronze, of iron, of wood, and stone. Uh, We have gods that we've, in a sense, manufactured. Uh, they may not be like a statue. They may not be like that kind of an idol. But we have things in our life that, in a sense, uh, we, we worship with our energy and our resources. Uh, it becomes very important to us. And that doesn't mean uh, we can't have nice things. It doesn't mean that uh, having a nice car or taking care of your home or all those kinds of things is, is, is a bad thing. But there are moments where those things can eclipse the value we actually put on God Almighty. And so, in a sense, when we pour more of our energies—and it might be all that's going on in our hearts, and our heads—you know, when we put all our energies into that, uh, we're starting to, in a sense, say this has more value than you have, God. Uh, yes, I'm doing all the right things because we can, you know, dress that up. We can, uh, you know, be at church. We can do the, do the churchy things. And uh, but deep down in our hearts, we've actually set in motion situations where we're actually pouring energy. Uh, pouring too much value into these other things, that, in a sense, we've created, we've earned. So you know, before we uh, throw too many stones at uh, this king, uh, we may not be as obvious. We may not be you know out there, but but we can do the same kind of thing. Uh, Solomon writes in Proverbs this he says, "Your boast becomes a prophecy of a future failure. The higher you lift up yourselves in pride, the harder you'll fall in." disgrace. And if you know the rest of the story, you know that this this principle from Proverbs is going to really play itself out. The king, his nobles, his thousand great friends are celebrating their supremacy when there's enemies right outside the gates. When there's, even though the wall might be 25, 75 feet thick and maybe very tall, just on the other side of that wall are all these enemies, and they feel pretty safe and secure in of themselves. And sometimes we can find ourselves in the same place. Doesn't mean we should be a people of fear, but it means that sometimes uh, we can look outside the gates of our lives. And uh, there's these circumstances. Maybe there's these attitudes that we have. Maybe these are practices that we have, and they're right outside the gates. And we pretend they don't exist out there. And we actually show contempt for them. We don't have prudence for them. Uh, there's a difference between being afraid and being prudent. A number of years ago, I think I may have even shared this story once before. Uh, I had a friend who had a 12-foot sailboat. And we went out on Casco Bay. That's in Portland Mays Harbor. And uh, 12 feet means it's 12 feet from the little thing that sticks out way out front to anything in the back. So it's not like boat was 12 feet. It was like this... I, what is that even called? It's, you know, a pole, like, you know, whatever it was sticking out there. So it was probably even shorter than that. And we went out on the bay and, and it was rough. And uh, we were going out to this island and uh, he was sailing and we're going back and forth. And, he, and Nate, our, our evil captain, uh, says, I think we're going to go behind the islands because it wouldn't be the prudent thing to do to go straight out to the island we wanted to go to. He wanted some shelter. And it wasn't that he was afraid, I mean we were afraid, the other guy with me, but he wasn't afraid, even though you know you're banking and it like the water could come over the side. He wasn't afraid, but he, he knew what was prudent to do. And sometimes there's these things outside, right outside the gates. For some of us, that's our internet practices. That's our entertainment practices. It's 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 how we value ourselves. It's our behavior, and they're right outside the gate, and we don't show any prudence. They're right there, just a little bit outside, and for Belshazzar and all his friends, uh, they weren't showing any prudence, and obviously they showed contempt for God because they actually took something that was designed to worship God Almighty and used it for their manufactured gods of you know wood gold and, and such. So this is all going on. The parties, ha- they're having a ball. They're just laughing it up. They, you know, I'm envisioning you know, if they could go to the wall, and I don't know where the, the celebration room was in comparison to the wall, but they could actually go to the wall and just see the army over there, and they could see the fires at night, and they're like, ha, 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 give me another drink, you know, and they're just having a great time, and it's right outside the wall. But uh, the higher you lift yourself up, In pride, the harder you'll fall in disgrace. And disgrace is coming for this king. It's coming for these nobles. And not to be a downer today, but some of us show contempt for what's outside the wall. Not prudence, contempt. And uh, we keep lifting ourselves up higher, saying we're invincible. And it's right out there. And if we're not careful, uh, we can fall a great fall. So we have the party goers, and then we have the party crashers, the uninvited guests um, going to show up. And the first one is really surprising to us. Uh, We read in verse uh, 5, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the land stamp in the royal palace. Now, first we go, how drunk were these folks? What were they seeing? But this is where God supernaturally steps in. And sometimes when we look at the scriptures, we see these historic things, and we can kind of get our minds around that. But then we see these supernatural things, and we can't get our minds around that. And that, that's okay. There are times where God steps in in outside-the-box normal ways. When we celebrate uh, Christmas, when we celebrate Easter, some of those big marks, that's God stepping outside the box and showing up in unbelievable ways through his son. And so, you know, people of faith, we kind of got to roll with those kinds of things. and We see the difference that God makes and, and that gives that more credibility and energy in our lives. So suddenly the fingers of a human being appear. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale. He was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. And other uh, translations and other thoughts, I listened to or read some, uh, some scholars, and they said he, he was, you know, how do you say it? Uh, you know, his, he, he, he uh, should have gone to the bathroom, but he went in his pants. So that, that's what they say happened. Everything let loose. A nice way to say that, I guess. Maybe not. So so God shows up. The king summons the enchanters, the astrologers, the diviners, all his people that are going to help explain what this means. Then he said to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and will be made third highest ruler in the kingdom. Or explained why that's the third highest ruler, because he was the second Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. Then the queen comes in, and we're not sure if this was Nebuchadnezzar's actual wife. We're not sure if it was a daughter. Uh, but she was a woman that had been around and, and knew what was, knew what had, who to go to for answers. The queen hearing the voices of the king, seems like she was, might not have even been there, and his nobles came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, again referring back to Nebuchadnezzar, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding And also the ability to interpret dreams. We've talked about some of those already. Explain riddles and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will solve the difficult problem. He will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king and the king said to him, are you Daniel? Must have been in retirement, Daniel was. And one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah. I've heard that you have the spirit of the gods in you and that you have Insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. And then he goes on and talks about all that he'll do for Daniel again that he's already said. Uh, then Daniel responds, he replies. Daniel answers the king. He says, You may keep your gifts for yourselves and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and people feared him. Position, All the people of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when the king became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. We spent two weeks last week looking at that. He was driven away from the people and driven and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. And he acknowledged the high, that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. So Daniel goes back and says, you remember this story. You should know this story. You shouldn't have to learn these things the hard way. You shouldn't have to call on me. Your pride has become your undoing. Uh, you have showed contempt for these armies. Most importantly, you've showed contempt for me. And uh, you think you're safe. You think you're secure. Your father, Nebuchadnezzar, the original king, thought the same kinds of things when he walked on that rooftop that one evening and you know what happened to him. Why, why are you functioning with selective learning? Why are you doing that? You've heard this before. One principle for us is this, it is stupid to have to learn everything the hard way. Now, I grew up in a home where you're not supposed to say the word stupid, it's, like a, it's a naughty word, and so I didn't really want to use it, but uh, it is, it is. Why do we have to learn everything the hard way? Uh, there are things that you and I know. There's things that the king knew. Yet, yet we've got to learn them the hard way. talked a little bit about this last week. We, we have to touch that oven to find, or that burner on the stove, to find out if it really is going to burn our hand. Some of us have to do it two times. Some of us have to do it three times. But there's all kinds of concepts out there that we do not have to learn the hard way. Yet often, we have selective learning, and we learn it the hard way. We know, but we don't know, because it doesn't show up in our lives. And this king, Belshazzar, is right in that place. Goes on in verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. And then he goes on. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank the wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hands your life in all your ways. He knew that. You and I, especially for a Christ follower, know that. We know that he holds our life in his hands, in his ways. Yet we set ourselves up against the Lord of heaven. We may not do it directly or may not seem that way, but we do it. We selectively learn. We know and we choose to go another way, all of us. We'll do this from time to time, to some extent. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. How many times, we said it earlier, have you come alongside someone and said, hey, you, you, they got a problem, and you you kind of paint the answer to them, a pathway to to, to avoid that, and, and they say, I know. I knew. How many times in your own life, if if you're in a situation, if you could go back two years, three years, maybe a day, and somebody else came with the problem that you're now experiencing, you would have given them the advice. The advice that would have caused them to avoid the problem. You would have given it to them. But now you were a selective learner. I was a selective learner. And we've, in a sense, gone another way. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Meanie, meany, take tequila, uh, Parsons. And basically, that means three things. We're going to look at that. The party messages. The party messages. Here's what these words mean. Meaning, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Kigal, you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes. And the Persians. And what's amazing is this message from 2,600 years ago actually has application and relevancy today. Because all of us must understand that our days are numbered. Belshazzar, it's ours. But God has numbered the days of your, lo- your reign and brought it to an end. God has numbered our lives. Uh, He knows there is an end. We don't necessarily know when the end is coming, but the end is coming someday. Aren't you happy you came to church today? Get that great news, you know? uh, All of us are going to die sometime. Uh, it's, It's no big secret. Our days are numbered. Moses said this, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. As we should. Do, do we understand that? Do we actually look at our lives and see that our days are numbered? Uh, it's not infinite, it's not gonna go on forever. There's 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 something they're running out, if you will. And it's interesting when you and I don't grapple with that, like anything else in our life, when we think we have tons of something, we, we don't we don't even concern ourselves with it. I saw this when um, Sarah and Hannah moved up and got their own place. When they were living in our house, showers forever. You know, hot water, water, you know, electricity, rooms with lights on, refrigerator open, hmm, hmm. Come back 10 minutes later, nothing's changing in the refrigerator, hmm, hmm, you know. Doors not being shut when it's cold outside, all that kind of stuff, you know, because, because they, they felt they had unlimited electricity, unlimited heating because they weren't paying for it. There were no conscious, not conscious at all that, that, that there were some limitations to that. Now you go up to their house. Oh boy. You know, go up there. They've got central air in their their apartment, and you go up there, and uh, you know it's like hot out. The windows are all open. I'm like, why isn't the air conditioner on? Oh, we're not going to start the air conditioner until July. I'm like, what are you crazy? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, you know, uh, you know, turn off that light. Don't turn on that light. You know, they're just they're just like all over the place. They're like conservation uh, crazy people, and you know, and and it's because they realize they've got to pay for it. It's not unlimited. When we in our lives don't realize that our lives are finite, we have a tendency to waste them. Some of us have been in family situations. Some of us have, may have even got the bad news from a doctor that some illness is working its havoc in our lives, and our days are numbered. And that's not new, but now we realize it. And then all of a sudden, it changes the way we look at life, the way we experience life. You see, selective learning. Belshazzar didn't get it, and we don't always get it. These many years later, you know, another nice uh, verse that uh, uh, isn't nice to think about always, but it's a good reminder. We should actually look at it every once in a while. Is this one from James 14:5? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little, while then it's gone. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of that not in a morbid way, not in a defeated way, but in a celebration way. I want to use my life well. Hebrews reminds us it is appointed for a man to die once, a person to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Ooh, I don't like that word, judgment. But there is some concept. There is a concept that uh, it's not what gets us into heaven. It's not, it's not earning God's love. But there is this concept, and we need to be reminded of it. We will be evaluated for the way we used our life. You can't get away from it. You're playing games with the scriptures if you think that's not true, if you think Jesus has grace and he absolutely does have, so once I've experienced his grace, once I've experienced his love and his forgiveness, I can just kind of spend my life any way I want because it doesn't matter because I'm going to go to be with him when I pass away, when I die. That, that, that's, that's true to some extent, but there will be an evaluation. There will be, I don't even like to say the word, there will be a judgment and God will look at all of our lives. And uh, we need to be reminded of it. We need to think about that as we use our lives. You see, your days are precious. Use them well. Your days are precious. Use them well. When we lived in South Portland, Maine, uh, a shortcut to the church was to walk through this uh, cemetery. And one day I'm walking through the cemetery, and I actually saw a uh, a, uh, gravestone, That said 1866. And I think the person was, had died, said, uh, you know, 1939. And I said, wow, wait a minute. I was born in 1966. I wonder if I'll make it to 2039. And then I thought, I wonder if anybody ever remembers this guy. Does anybody know who this guy was? Is there, is there any conversation that will happen in the next year where, where someone's talking about, hey, I remember Uncle Bob. Oh, yeah, I remember Uncle Bob before World War II. You know, he passed. You know, well, you know remember he built that? I, Does anyone, did he leave his mark on the world? Or maybe nobody remembers him, but people are living in the ripple of something he did. It made me think, yet someday, 1966, 20. 20- 39, 20, 29, I don't know. It will be there. And, and will I have lived well? Will I leave positive ripples? Will I leave negative ripples? Will be people cleaning up after my messes? The way I treated my kids, the way I treated my maybe someday grandkids, the way I, the way I pastored a church, will I do something really stupid? And there'll be all these messes and now there'll be all these ripples that need to be cleaned up years later. And they'll go, oh, I remember that guy. I don't know. Our days are precious. Use them well. Be excited about that. Not dreading that. Use them well. Sometimes we, we, we just get so diverted in so many things that our focus just gets watered down. Uh, you know, we, we, we're involved in so many activities, so many things. we got so many balls up in the air that, that we, we really can't do anything really well. And uh, that's you know, something I can't tell you. You've got to work it out and think it through in your relationship with God. But uh, Ecclesiastes talks about this. It's better to have only a little with peace of mind than be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. You know, sometimes we live lives that the volume of life, I've talked about this before, is so loud that we can't hear the other things in life. We've got so many things going on, and it actually becomes an excuse to be, you know, a master or, or a jack of all trades in a sense and a master of none. We, we don't do anything really well because we haven't put our mind to it. Uh, we, ha- we haven't done that. We haven't put our heart to it because we, we're not living well. We're just just going. We're busy, but not purposeful. You know, our lives are precious. I like what Rick Warren says. He says, if you're burning the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes, I think, it, I go, look at all the stuff I'm doing. And all of a sudden, I, I wear it as a badge of honor. I'll, oh, I never take a day off. I never do this. I never do this. I'm working hard. You know, no, no, that, that's, not, that's not a badge of honor that shows you that your life is out of control. That's, a, that's, a, that's an indicator that you're not managing your life well. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't seasons of life, but if seasons of life turn into 20 years, that's, that's your life. Not as bright as you think. Also, we see, and this kind of ties right into that uh, message, you know, our lives are out of balance You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Oh, wouldn't I love to go into my doctor's this week and get on that little big scale thing, beeps and beep, 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 beep. get off and the doctor goes, you need to gain weight, you're wanting. (laughs) Never's happened to me. Never ever's happened to me. He never says that. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Knight's Tale and part of this story, the competition, uh, the bad guy says this to the good guy, and then eventually the good guy, of course, wins and, and says, you know, his friends all say this to the, the bad guys. he's on his back after being justed, uh in a, in a tournament. Um, if, if God weighed our life, would it be found wanting? Would it be found out of balance, out of order, and when I say these things, it's not to pick on you. It's not to make you feel guilty. When I say these things, it's to, it's to open our eyes to another way. So these kinds of things are less in our lives. So our lives are more balanced, are more focused. Go in a direction that we live well. Very familiar verse to many of us is, but seek first the kingdom of God, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. It's this idea of focus. It's not having your eyes in the sky so much that you know earthly good, but it does mean that when you are seeking God's preferred will in your life, when you're seeking to point to him, his kingdom, if you will, and living in a right way, not righteousness in the sense of being self-righteous, but righteousness in the path you're on, not perfect, but in that path, then all the other things, in a sense, uh, will fall into place. The idea is that we need to prioritize first things first. We need to take a look at life and see what's out of balance, what's out of whack. You've probably heard it a number of times. No one on their deathbed is going to be saying, I wish I spent more time at work. They're going to wish they spent more time with their family. I wish that they had leveraged some things. I, uh, just, it, it's, just, it's just the way it is. Uh, you've heard of this idea of trying to fill a glass and how you fill it with the things in your life. You know, If you've got to put the big rock in first, the big things in first, and then let the other things fill in around them. If you put the little things in first, there's no room for the big thing, the important things. Try to pile everything in there, and, and there's just absolutely no room. It just it just doesn't work. Um, I'm eyeing this toolbox at uh, at uh, Lowe's. It's got these drawers in it. It's like thirty nine dollars. What a deal! I want it. I, I looked at it last week, but I didn't impulsively buy it. But today, I think I'm going to get it. So anyway, so if, uh, if lusters want one left, don't all, don't all you guys go over there and, oh, we just sold out. Ten guys showed up and bought all the last toolboxes. But anyway, so, so, but when I get this toolbox, it's got like three drawers and the big part in it, now, when I get this toolbox... And this is very dangerous, because those of you who know me, I'm really not good with tools, but I do have a few. I'm going to take my other tools, I'm going to, like, organize them. But I'll start with the most important things, and then what will happen is the leftover tools that I really don't know how work and don't think they're that important, they'll go in the old toolbox and go down into the basement, never to be seen again. But the tools that I want, the right screwdrivers, the, the pliers and all those kinds of things, they'll go in there. So I'll, I'll, I'll put the important things in first, in my eyes. You might look at my toolbox. Now everyone who comes over my house is going to go, oh, that's not really important. What did you keep that for? But anyway, you know, they'll be in there. And, but that's the way you do it. Clean out your garage. Clean out your barn. You take all the stuff out. Some of you now are on summer break. Your parents have said, we're doing the garage. We're doing the barn. We're doing your room. No. You know, but you'll take everything out. And then you'll start with the most important things. Same thing with life. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates verse 33 of Matthew 6. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. Sometimes we are so worried about missing out that we do miss out on the important things. Don't worry about missing out. Also, there's this idea that uh, we ignore the warning signs. This king, the warning signs were there. He had the history. He, He could have learned from the past. He was selective in his learning. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Your kingdom is in pieces. You ignored the warning signs. They were there. Some of us have ignored what's outside the gates, outside the wall, have ignored the writing on the wall, and our life is in pieces. I love this verse. Well, I don't really, I say this often. I love this verse, but then I don't love it because I need to really work it into my life, into every aspect of my life. But Proverbs twenty-seven twelve says, a prudent person sees trouble coming and ducks, a simpleton walks blindly and is clobbered. How many times have you faced a problem and you saw it coming and you didn't duck? You walked right into it. And it may be a problem that's a year off, maybe a problem that's five years off, maybe it's a problem tomorrow, and you just walk right into it. Not to get scary, but sometimes I feel this way about our country's debt. We're walking towards it, and someday we're going to get clobbered. Someday our kids are going to get clobbered. Our grandkids are going to get clobbered. But a prudent person sees trouble coming and ducks. You hear about the person that has some ailment, something's bothering them, and they just continually ignore it. The warning signs are there, and they just ignore it. And then they walk in, and now it's a big problem. Sometimes it's a relational thing. Sometimes it's a little tension with your spouse. And it's a time that means that's a warning that, man, we need to kind of like come together. We need to invest some time together. We need to to get away for the weekend. We just need to be with each other. We need to rediscover why we're in love and why we're doing this thing called life together. The warning signs are there, but we just keep pushing. Sometimes I get nervous when I know a younger couple is uh, having issues, and they decide the answer is just to keep having extra babies. They have another baby, and that takes care of the focus. And then they deal with that. They buy a new house. They buy a new thing. And then all of a sudden, now five, ten years later, have come and they've never dealt with the, the warning signs. We're in the habit of ignoring warning signs. Have you ever have you flown recently when they pull out the, like the cards, you know, like if the plane's going down, you know, if the plane, you know, you know do this, do this, and, and you look around the, in the, in the cab, and everyone's like, I do you know, and, you know, if anything ever happened, you'd be like, where's that card, where's that card, you know, you know, just ignore it. And the warning signs are all around us. Belshazzar should have in that moment dropped to his knees. We've seen it. We see it in the pattern of the way God works with people. That when people are at the edge and they they get the warning sign and they respond to God, that in His grace, many times the heat gets turned down real quick. He ignores the warning signs. Daniel was clothed in purple. He really you could just see him kind of like going, "I told you, I didn't care about this." The gold change would show that he was uh, important in the city. Uh, Third highest ruler in a kingdom that was not going to be existing. And that very night, Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Fascinating. What they said happened was they actually diverted the Euphrates River enough so that the army could walk under the walls into the city and take it over. They, didn't even, they were probably still all having their party when the, when the, when the enemy was like right at that meeting place. Uh, it's also written that if they had known that, they still could have defended the city. They had devices in there to drop down, so they, they, that couldn't happen. But they were so ignoring what was outside their walls that the enemy diverted the river and came right in. And that night, Belshazzar's life was over. You know, the bottom line is this. Ignoring the manure that makes troubles grow. We ignore it. Ignoring is the manure. We we ignore those things, and all of a sudden they grow. They get fertile. They get fertilized in our life, and that just makes them grow and grow and go. And Belshazzar was that kind of a king. He ignored those things. But the reality is we're that kind of people today. Our lives are in pieces. We see things frailing apart, and we just ignore it. Of what the psalmist writes. God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. When I got my act together, he gave me a fresh start. Now I'm alert to God's ways. I don't take God for granted. Every day I review the way he works. I try not to miss a trick. I feel put back together, and I'm watching my step. That was an option for the king. That's an option for you and me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way your word can speak into our lives these many years later. Lord, I would ask that all of us would be at a place where we would would listen to you, where we would hear what you have to say, that we wouldn't be selective learners, that we would hear your word, that we would take the pieces of our lives and put them before you, because life is short, life is quick, and life is so precious. Help us not to get to the place where our life is wanting, where it's out of whack, it's out of balance. Lord, help us to see those warning signs, whatever they may be. All of us can think of things that are in our lives that seem to be a little out of whack, a little out of phase. Those are warning signs. Help us to to read those and see those. Help us not to be a people that ignore and just compound the problem. We thank you for your warning to us, even though sometimes we don't want to hear them. But we thank you that you give that to us. You give us a chance to have our lives changed from the inside and out. And we appreciate that. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.